Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Amy Sarag King, author of the new middle grade novel, Attack of the Black Rectangles. Bookless wrote about the novel, poignant, humorous, and bright, whip smart, tuned into the mind of sixth graders, and beautifully concluded. The novel takes a bold stand in a time of book bans and rampant censorship. Against the backdrop of family issues, first crushes, and the end of elementary school, this is a beacon of hope for middle grades and an object lesson in treating kids like the intelligent readers they are. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's nice to be here today. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Attack of the Black Rectangles, how would you describe the novel? Well, in a in a, in a soundbite, I'd say that um, it's a novel about censorship, both of the things happening to you and the things others are doing around you, uh, or you know, of your of the materials you're you're allowed to read. Um, but really, it's it's just a story about Mac Delaney. He's a sixth grade boy. He is handed a book to read in his classroom along with a few other classmates, and they've all been censored. Um, and he wants to find out. Well, everything. What's been all the curiosity that comes when you look at something that's been that's been hidden from you, regardless of your age. You want to find out what it is, then you want to find out why. Um, and then in his own life, he's navigating. You know, um, I'll say pretty typical stuff for these days. You know, for kids these days, pretty typical stuff. You know, trying to figure out what's going on with his dad. Um, you know, and a, after an estrangement, and trying to just figure out his feelings and who he is. You know, twelve was a fun age. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write this novel? Oh, very much so. Um, I experienced this. My son brought home the very same book. So the book inside of the book, if that makes sense. So the book inside the back of the Black Rectangles that has been censored, that is the subject of that, is a book called The Devil's Arithmetic by Jane Yolen. Um, one of our country's, I think, fan most fantastic living children's writers. She's written more than 400 books. Uh, Devil's Arithmetic is one about the Holocaust. It's a fantastic novel for that age group, anywhere from, you know, 11 or 10 and 11 and up. Um, and so my son brought this, the book home and showed it to me eventually. And and I said, wait a second. And he said, well, everybody has. I, I thought it was just maybe one person who did it, Jeff. And, and then I, he said, no, everybody's books have it in. And, and so I went to the principal and said, hey, are you aware that these books are in your school? And that's where she kind of was like, you know, big smiles. Was like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hmm, really then? Um, so I was like, uh, no, it's not that I'm worried. It's that I, I don't believe it's right. And, you know, we should, we should do something about it. And she, you know, it, it was a, it was an interesting little thing that happened in 2018. And, and, you know, I'm a writer, Jeff. So what, how do I figure things out? I figure things out on paper. I've been doing it my whole life, but, you know, in novel form for 28 years, I, I wanted to get the better outcome than I got, which was sort of people blowing me off. It's just like they blew off kids, like just like they blow off kids. Um, and I also wanted to share the idea with young people because, you know, they already know that adults are hiding things from them. They're, they already know the truth, though. They think it's kind of funny, I think, that adults think that they're hiding things from them. Um, but yeah, so it definitely came from years of, of being an advocate for young people and, um, and from a real life experience. And I'm curious, in, in that real-life experience, what were the words that had been blacked out? Was it, was it um, 
curse words or, or what were the words? No. Um, well, it's the same words as in the books, but I will okay. give a spoiler here. Yeah. Okay. If you don't but, want to give a spoiler, you don't have to. You know, I don't mind, honestly. Okay. I mean, I, I honestly don't mind a spoiler because I think that the book is far more than just this, sure, this piece sure. of information. But uh, I want to give context because it's really important, especially in this day's climate. Um, you know, context is everything. You can't take a, a, a sentence or a word out of context and say, this book is, you know, pornographic because of this thing that's completely out of context. So I'll give you context. You know, The Devil's Arithmetic is about the Holocaust and the scene in which the first censorship occurs is um, a really important scene. We're thinking about young readers. So we write difficult history for young readers. When we write a concentration camp scene, we do that with, with very you know, soft gloves on. You, know, you really have to try and give the information and let them digest it, right? Critical thinking, right? Let them digest it. So to have this big black rectangle in the middle of it was quite a, a distraction. What was, what was so disappointing for me, you know, you've got a book full of violence here. There isn't any violence crossed out, by the way, not any. But the word that was crossed out was the word breasts. And in the scene, it was a shower scene in which a bunch of young, young girls, you know, 12, 11, um, were in the shower, um, terrified, naked, cold, freezing cold, and surrounded by soldiers screaming at them and armed soldiers screaming at them. And to cross out the word breast in that scene seemed so many different shades of wrong to me, Jeff. Um, and not only that, but I'd bet all the money in the world that there isn't a 12-year-old 12, 12 that doesn't know what a breast is. <laughs> <laughs> and and who also can be mature enough to not sexualize it in a scene like that. The fact that an adult sexualized it in the first place is already disturbing beyond this conversation. The fact that we do that is already really weird to me. But in this situation, it was it really I felt it was disrespectful when somebody's telling a story like that. Um, more importantly, it, it, it's disrespectful to young people to try and I don't know to what. The, the idea given to me of why this was done, though this wasn't directly from the person who held the Sharpie marker, this was from somebody else speaking for that person, was because, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Jeff, was because the boys might giggle. And the first thing I thought when that was said to me, well, the first thing I thought is we'll tell them not to model like mature behavior, but more importantly, wow, you sure underestimate boys. What a way to take agency and intelligence and maturity and grace away from boys before you ever gave them a chance to giggle or not giggle. Um, and so that's really what the book explores, that part. And that was the bonus of being able to, I guess, work it out on paper. Sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, at, at this point, it almost feels like book banning and censorship has become woven into Americana, especially if you look back at the 1950s, there was a huge moral panic that comic books were going to ruin the country's youth. And now here we are 70 years later, as you've given the, the um, example in your own life of um, censoring the word breast, but then we also have a very concerted effort to ban books that have any lgbtq or bipoc characters mm -hmm. um 
I, I mean, you've obviously tackled this topic in in this novel, but I'm curious on a personal level, what do you what do you think about this most recent wave of book banning and censorship? Well, I think a lot about it. Um, it's you know, I, this isn't my own like. I've worked on, I've written library policy. I've worked on library boards. So I really, I do know my way around sort of censorship and, and how people challenge books and this sort of thing. At the moment, you know, I, I find the word, I find the, the reasoning behind it interesting because especially when you're, when you're, and you are, these bands are specifically these lists, because they are lists. These are the lists of books that, that people who haven't read the books are going locally and trying to get the books removed based on what someone else told them to do. So first of all, you got people doing what they're told. That always raises an alarm with me. Um, and I get in, I know my inbox gets letters. And in, the, in, in those, you know, it'll be like, I didn't read your book, but here's what I think about it. And it's like, hmm, like I couldn't do that, Jeff. I couldn't write to somebody and be like, hey, Jeff, I, I never listened to your podcast, but uh, here's what I think about it. Right? I couldn't do that. I just not, I'm, I'm too much of a, I, I want to, I would do it after I, after I listened and perhaps I could find some things, but you're, you're, you have people doing what they're told. So you've got that. Um, but then you also have them doing it and repeating the idea that they're trying to protect children without noting, apparently that children is a plural that includes every child that includes gay children, that includes tra trans children, that includes um, black children, BIPOC children, all children of color, re refugees. That means everybody, every single person. That's what children needs. And so what they really mean when they say they're protecting children, they mean a specific kind of child. They don't mean all children. And, you know, I don't think they understand or actually I think they do understand. I think they don't care that their actions are actually harming chil other children. So when you take and when you attack, let's say, LGBTQ books, you are attacking the identities of human beings who happen to also be young and impressionable and, you know, up and down some days, like all of us are. You know, I, I hate that we only give, you know, fluctuating emotions to young people. I think that's a I think that's a disservice. Um, but I think at the moment, you know, I'm here to lift up young people and to lift up their voices and to remind them that their voices and their feelings matter and to remind them that I, somebody out there sees them as the intelligent, capable, savvy people that they are. They already know the truth. Um, and so when, when these people who are just doing what they're told try and take away, you know, <sighs> information, um, uh, places where they can see themselves, places where they can feel welcome. Because that's that's why I write books, because I read books that made me feel welcome, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, that they're actually hurting kids. Uh, and I, I don't understand that. I, I just can't do that. So I, I have to go in. And even like, yes, I'll absolutely support a kid who doesn't agree with me. Of course I will. Sure. That's To me, that's what I've been doing my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I try and, and I don't know. I try and lift up young people and try and lift up, lift up people, give people the choice, the opportunity to do what they need to do for them in their life. Um, and even if it's, if it's them who's trying to shut me down, I still think that that's a good thing to do. Sure. Well, I'm curious, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing your first stories and getting your first novel published? Oh boy, Jeff. Um, well, I wrote, I wrote my first novel. I, I lived in Ireland for about 10 years 
And um, I'd always wanted to write, I, I, but I, I kind of didn't think I could. It was one of those things that we, we put ourselves down, right? Again, young people, we were like, oh, I could never do that. Um, but I moved to Ireland and as a sort of, I don't know, I don't know how to explain what got me to the actual typewriter. What got me to the typewriter was reading a lot of great books, but also being a stranger in a strange land and being um, kind of writing for survival. I don't know how else to put that. I don't know how, I won't go too deeply into it, but that's really what I was doing. I was trying to, I guess, parks out life as it happened. But um, I wrote uh, eight novels over the span of 15 years for, um, and I collected more than 500 rejection letters from agents on both sides of the Atlantic. I was allegedly too weird uh, to, uh, as a woman to, like, my work was too weird. Women weren't going to understand it. And I was like, wait a second, why do you think only women are going to read my books? You know, I'm a Vonnegut fan from way back. I, I like weird, I like surrealism. I like strange stuff. So I guess I, I was writing what I loved. And um, so it took 15 years to finally get my first book published. I was 24 when I started writing novels and I was 40 when I got published. Uh, and then that from there, um, it's been a very slow, but very steady uh, road. You know, I write every day. That's what I do. And I'm always working on something. So um, I'm very grateful to be where I am. Uh, and I, I'm really grateful that I landed in, you know, young adult at first, I didn't really know that that existed. When I lived in Ireland, that didn't exist, really. I didn't, I, I'd never heard the term. And so when I came to America, someone said, hey, you know, you start your books always in the teen years. Why? I'm like, because that's what they call them, you know, <laughs> in the formative <laughs> years, you know, you're forming. And so technically, you know, how you form really matters um, and why you form the way you do really matters. And this is part, this goes back to Attack of the Black Rectangles in a way where it's sort of like, if you're keeping things from kids and therefore you're saying, I don't trust you. Well, then what is the person who feels like no one trusts them? How do they develop? You know, and, and that sort of thing, like these, these sorts of things. But, um, but yeah. And then from there, you know, I was very fortunate that my second novel um, won a, a, a Prince Honor Award from the American Library Association. And it, you know, I'm, I'm, I was honored by that, but as a writer, especially a writer who, you know, did that for 15 years, you know, banging my head against a wall. Um, it, it inspired me to keep going and it got me into schools to meet young people here and be able to, and, and be able to sort of remember that that's, that was my favorite place. Like being a young person, helping young people was always my favorite place. So I get to be back in that place now, you know, in a way now, and I, I've said this in lectures at the, at the college where I teach, but, you know, I, I, sometimes I wonder if I write the books, you know, to write the books, to write the stories, or if I just continue to write books so that I can get in and, and just, empower young people like in every possible way in in their schools or in their communities so in a way books are a vehicle right for the work that i do which is you know advocate for the voices of young people ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. That's great. I'm curious, what kept you going for 15 years? I mean, some people may have given up after novel five or six. Yeah. Um, well, you know, here's, I think a lot of it has to do with my situation. Like I was a self-sufficient, I was a, I bought a farm in Tipperary in Ireland and, um, 
I was self-sufficient. So first of all, I, I lived on about, I'd say I lived on about $5,000 a year. And um, so if I, if I was eating it, I grew it, whether it was a chicken or a potato, sorry to the vegetarians out there. And, um, <laughs> uh, and then also um, I was a literacy teacher. So I was teaching adults how to read. I've been a volunteer my whole life um, in different, so many different spaces. And that was one of the more fascinating jobs I ever had because the people I met, I mean, not just because, because the people I met were some of the smartest people I ever met. And I had been told my whole life that people who couldn't read were dumb. And I found that to be short-sighted because then when I met literacy students, they were some of the smartest people. I knew. you try getting to 50 without knowing how to read. You've got to be pretty smart. Um, and that is part of what kept me going because I had another interest. I was doing other things. You know, I wasn't just trying to get published, which I knew was going to be difficult, especially because I was in a you know foreign country and all that. I mean, this was back when you had to mail manuscripts. There was a while there, Jeff, that I was hatching. <laughs> I was hatching. I was figuring out how many chickens to hatch and trying to figure out how much money that would make me once they reached 21 weeks, you know, pull it egg laying age so that I could, um, afford to go to the local place and get my manuscripts copied and buy postage and all that. So I would have to figure out how many chickens to hatch in order to send my queries to America. So, I mean, it was, it was a different time. We didn't have the internet, you know, my first four novels were written on a typewriter. So it was, it's, I don't know. I've always been a patient person, but I've also, that's, oh my gosh, that's not true at all. Uh, but in a way, I must, I must have had some kind of grace and patience for the publishing world. I knew they weren't ready for me. And then they finally were, Jeff. Like, that's, that's, that's where we are. Well, at some point, you have to write a book about surviving on $5,000 annually. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I'm definitely somebody you want to find in the zombie apocalypse. Like, if, uh, <laughs> I to, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's not hard. But, you know, the, the lifestyle is different, too. You know, when, when you don't have a big box store right next to you, sure. you know, all the time. It was, it was a beautiful life. Um, no television, off the grid. Um, just books, books and people and chickens. That's great. Well, I know that you teach in an MFA program dedicated to YA and children's literature. What writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories and novels? Well, um, I would always, uh, the first thing I always say is read, um, read everything that's like what you want to write, but also read widely, wildly, you know, um, there's no such thing as, as, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but yeah, read widely and then keep going. You got to keep going. This, this business is not easy. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, um, it's funny. I get this asked. I get this question from kids, and I, I almost just answered it differently for a wider, you know, uh, <laughs> audience. And I'm not going to. Um, when I kids ask me, I say those first two things: read and write um, a lot. Uh, that means journaling. That means write a poem. That means write everything. I try different things all the time. But the third thing is volunteer. And I say that you know, a you're 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 giving back to your community. Your community made you. But b you will never meet the people that you meet volunteering anywhere else. And that goes for every type of volunteer job I've ever had. And so it immediately opens your mind. It gives you different insight into different characters. Um, and so that that's one of those, those sort of 
things I say at schools, but I'll say here too. Um, but otherwise, I mean, if you're, if you're writing a story, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, memoir, anything, honesty, don't censor yourself. You've got to be honest. That's how you get readers to go, oh my gosh, that this person knows me. You're never going to get that if you're sugarcoating or, or hiding. Um, and that's, that's really the, the reason we write books is to connect with other people, even though we're not in the same room. That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, boy. Um, let's see. I've really enjoyed um, Answers in the Pages by David Levithan, also a middle grade book, also about censorship. So it's kind of, and, but yet totally different um, and such a beautiful book. If you've ever read David Levithan's work, you know his work is just gorgeous. Um, and then there's a book named Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd, also um, for young readers, but beautifully written. Oh my goodness. I don't even know how to explain that book other than just read it. Uh, it's wonderful. Nonfiction, um, I've been, what have I been reading? I've been researching for, for a totally different book. I've been, I've been re researching <laughs> the science of pneumatics. You don't want to get into that. Um, you know, and the history of pneumatic tube systems and the history of the pneumatic railway, uh, which is really quite fascinating. But um, yeah, I think that's all I have right now. You know I'm going to remember the book I'm reading right now when I get off. With of you. Once, once I get off of this recording, I will remember the, the other three books that are on my, my nightstand. But Exactly. Yeah, those are the two big ones I read recently I loved. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Um, best place is my website. It's kind of funny. I just said this to someone else this morning. I was like, oh, it's weird giving you my website info because it's kind of a little bit under construction. So it's like, come on into my house. It's a little bit dusty. <laughs> um, but I'm at as-king.com. You can find me there. And, and then on that site, you can find connections to Instagram and, and Twitter, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not on not on either in a, I'm pretty regular on Instagram, I'd say, but that's where you can find me. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Amy Sarah King, author of the new middle grade novel, Attack of the Black Rectangles. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Amy, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Wonderful. Scholastic Audio presents Attack of the Black Rectangles by Amy Sarig King Read by Pete Cross with Gretchen Bender, Amy Sarig King, Jane Yolen, and others. When I get home from school, Dad is in the garage working on Granddad's old car. It's a bazillion degrees in there because he never opens the garage door and he's welding. He's a day early. This is usually what we do on Saturdays. Then sometimes, if he's in a good mood, he takes me for flights in it in the middle of the night. I'm too tired to work on the spacecraft today. Mom is at work, so I plop myself on the couch and turn on my favorite anime. The one in my brain. It's about a boy with an alien dad and how they fly around in a spacecraft a lot before the boy has to go to middle school. That sounds like a boring anime, but there are secret aliens everywhere and the boy and father have special powers. The boy can change history. The father can melt your whole body just by looking at you a certain way. 
That's the way Dad looks at me when he wakes me up from my accidental nap on the couch an hour later. Have you been home long? He asks. I don't know, I say. Can you help me in the garage? Sure. For the next 30 minutes, I help Dad fix the dashboard. I hear the phone ringing in the house, but I'm holding a piece in place while he tightens something underneath with what looks like a weird space wrench. When we're done, we cover it with a tarp, and he leaves right before Mom gets home. She thinks it's just a vintage car, specifically a 1967 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia convertible. I don't ever tell her what Dad says, because he made me promise not to. Before he catches the bus to his apartment, Dad says, Maybe we'll take a ride again soon. But what about tomorrow? Can't make it tomorrow until late, sport. Something came up. Oh. Doesn't mean I don't love you, he says, and walks down the sidewalk. Fact. Aliens lie. All the time. I can't find grace for that yet. But I'm trying. When I come inside, Mom tells me, Marcy called and wants you to call her back and have your book with you. She's making dinner and has a wooden spoon in one hand and a spatula in the other. Which book? I ask, while I wash the grease off my hands. Something about a circle? She says. Lit circle book. That's what she called it. Can you set the table? I set the table, but don't get the book. I'll call Marcy back after we eat. Over dinner, Mom asks what book we're reading, and I tell her. Then I say, it's about the Holocaust. Tough topic, Mom says. Damn tough topic, my granddad says. Mom scolds him for cursing. Things get quiet at the table. Granddad adds, I've been to the camps. You can barely breathe there, even half a century later. Horrible. And I know horrible. Granddad served two tours in the Vietnam War and has a Purple Heart medal. He knows horrible. We go on eating and Mom tells us a little about her day. She's developing a new program for grieving kids and she has her last campfire group next week. They make s'mores and sing songs and she says she loves every minute of it. I'm proud of you, Granddad says. Just doing my job, Mom replies. You help a hundred people every week. Just take the compliment, okay? Your mom would back me up on this, he says, laughing. Mom smiles at him, and then me. And then the three of us get up and clear the table and load the dishwasher. When I call Marcy back after dinner, I don't bring the book. I left a detailed message to save us time she says. It's a Friday night. Who cares about time? When you see what I'm about to tell you, you'll understand. I walk to my backpack in the hallway and get the book. I roll my eyes the whole time. Leave it to Marcy to expect efficiency on the weekend. Got it. Open to page 93. I do. And I see it right away. Oh. There is an ugly black rectangle over some words. I talked to Hannah an hour ago, and her book has the same stuff. Go to page 117, 
she says. I turn the pages. There's another ugly black rectangle over more words. The library opens at 10 tomorrow, Marcy says. Want to meet me there? I'm still staring at the black rectangles. I thumb through to see if I can find any more places that are like it, but this is it. Two areas of the book that are blacked out so well that the ink bleeds through to the other side. Why would anyone do this? I ask Marcy. I don't know, she says. It's even the winner of the National Jewish Book Award. Yeah, she says. Whoever did this has some nerve. I mean, it's not like a kid's book would have anything that bad in it, you know? Read around the black parts, she says. Can you figure it out? Page 93 is a really hard page to read. It's a scene in the showers at a concentration camp. There are girls our age there, and they're naked in the shower room. Surrounding them are Nazi soldiers. When the water turns off, the soldiers yell at the naked girls to move. When they move to the next room, they aren't given clothes to wear and are freezing. Even with a few words crossed out, it's a terrifying scene, and my stomach hurts. Page 117 is harder to figure out. I'm not sure what the scene is about, but it has something to do with little children having to hide in enormous piles of garbage at the concentration camp. Disgusting, but not as terrifying as the shower scene. I say, I can't figure it out. What could be worse than this scene? I don't know, Marcy says. But tomorrow, I'm going to find out. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.